Do please turn with me to Matthew's Gospel and to chapter 27. I want to look at the verses that we read and look and refer to a number of them this evening. Our subject is Seven Miracles of Calvary. I wonder if you've ever thought of this before. We usually, when we think of the cross of Christ, we think of the Saviour, we think of the two thieves either side, perhaps we think not of Christ's face, we we don't want to try to imagine, but we think of the blood, we think of the crown of thorns as we've sung in our hymn, we think of the nails forced into his hands. We think of the crowd all around him. Perhaps we think of the darkness and our minds wander. We can't quite take it in. We can't quite understand the love of the Saviour. And yes, it's right that we should gaze and wonder at the mystery of what is the love of Christ. God became man, dying unjustly, the greatest crime ever committed that the Lord Jesus Christ should be cruelly taken and punished for sins that he did not do. And yet tonight, I want to look slightly away from Calvary and the cross itself, and I want to try and think of the impact of the power of Christ while he was on the cross, because we can get this so very badly wrong. People think of Christ and they think of a weak man, a man who was feeble, a man who was helpless, and he was taken by cruel hands and he was arrested by force and he was put there and he was nailed to the cross and we think of him as powerless, utterly powerless. But that's completely wrong. He was full of power. He just surrendered aspects of his power while he was on the cross. But I want to try to prove to you that his power was still there and he was still working in seven wonderful ways as we shall consider tonight. Oh yes, many were watching the Saviour physically there was tens of thousands. Jerusalem was swollen. It was the time of the feast of the Passover. And so there were hundreds of thousands in Jerusalem. And Calvary was quite a spectacle. And many came to watch. There's no doubt, even that's an evidence of God's wonderful plan that so many would watch and gaze more than normal, at two thieves who were taken to be crucified alongside him. It wouldn't normally be as such a spectacle, but now there was three. And there was this miracle worker, this wonder worker, three of them. And so there was so many personal testimonies. I saw, 
I was there. Do you know the historians Josephus and Tacitus record in the very, very early years after Christ died that this was a real event? Do you know there's so much evidence for the death of Christ that even secular historians, they don't doubt it. Nobody who's a serious academic says there was not a Christ and he did not die. No, that's beyond doubt. But there are these seven miracles and we could easily miss every one of them. I'm sure you've thought of a few, but have you thought of all seven? Can you find them? These astonishing, perhaps incidental, can we use that word, incidental? They're not really, but they're perhaps not what we focus our eyes upon. And we misunderstand and we, we see a weak Christ and a weak man. That's to miss the point. Well, these seven miracles, why are they there? They're to demonstrate and they're to show that as Christ is lifted up, he is still the Son of God. He's not just a man, he's still the divine man. And he's still working powerfully in these mysterious ways. And his power is still touching individual lives, groups, and vast numbers of people at the time that he's on the cross. Each one of these seven miracles are targeted at individuals and groups and all the people, and at us tonight, seven miracles, one on top of another, giving such powerful evidence. Well, there was one, before we even start, this isn't one of the seven, as the Lord Jesus was in Gethsemane, and his disciples didn't want him to be taken, they didn't understand. One lifted a sword, and struck the ear of the servant of the high priest and the ear fell onto the ground and no doubt there was blood and the Lord Jesus calmly says we don't want any of that picked it up just put it back on the side of the head of this young servant and you can read the text and you can almost miss it but it's astonishing a miracle before his persecutors who still went through and took him to the cross. Well, that's before we begin. But these seven miracles, we'll touch on them very briefly, they form an unbreakable chain of evidence that this is the Christ, the Son of God, my Lord, my Saviour. And if you don't know him tonight, would he not move your heart to see that this is the same Christ that works powerfully? Well, let's look at the first. Let's turn to verse 45. And the first is this. It's very simple. Now from the sixth hour, he was on the cross for six hours. 
The first three in light, the next three in abject total darkness. People say it was an eclipse. The usual eclipse lasts for six, seven minutes. If you have a total eclipse, it can last for a little longer, three hours. There is not a physical, natural explanation that's ever been given for why darkness fell over all the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Astonishing. Everybody in Jerusalem and the land would say, what's happening? Why the darkness? Of course, there was darkness when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And the tenth plague was darkness. And now darkness falls again. The reason is very clear. God the Father is going to pour out on the Lord Jesus Christ such punishment, such pain, such suffering that the eyes of humanity are to be veiled. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when God the mighty maker died for his own creature's sin. How can we understand that? A mighty, mighty miracle. The one who the very first thing he did in creation was to make the light before the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said, let there be light, just his word. And now he turns off the light for three hours. The light of the world. The one who said, I am the light of the world. As he bears my sin, my punishment, we will not look. We will not see. We will not see and know the totality of the pain that he suffered. That's the first of these miracles. The second, have you ever seen this? Verse 46 and verse 50. Now, about the ninth hour, he's been on the cross for six hours. The way crucifixion works, when a person is hung and their whole weight is being borne by the wrists of the two hands, by the feet, the person being crucified struggles to lift the weight of their body and soon breathing becomes very heavy in the first hour. By the sixth hour, there is barely a breath. But in the sixth hour, the Lord Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, This is a fulfillment of what we read in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a double miracle. He's fulfilling the prophecy seven, eight hundred years ago. 
And he's calling out with a loud voice, you can't do that. A crucified man or woman has no breath, they can't lift their lungs. To repeat the point, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, do you know what this loud voice was? It was a voice of victory. A voice where Christ said, you think I'm weak and powerless. You think I'm a feeble man taken by force. You're wrong. I lay down my life and I'm the only one that could do it. It was a voice, a loud voice of victory and it was a voice of judgment. He was shouting out with a loud voice, you who took me and with cruel hands put me upon this cross, you will be judged if you will not repent and turn from your sins and humble yourselves, you who took me with cruel hands. And when he had cried again with a loud voice, he breathed his last breath. The final words were loud, shouted triumphantly. It's done. He has died. He's taken my punishment. He's taken my sin. And he cries with triumph and with judgment. The third one, I'm sure you've seen this. Perhaps this is the most famous of all seven. Verse 51. And behold, the first two miracles, the darkness the loud voice were for everybody there. They would have seen the darkness. They would have heard everybody that was at Golgotha, Calvary, outside the city walls. They would have seen and they would have heard two senses appealed to. But now the third miracle will be for a specific group of people. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two, only those who were appointed could walk into the temple, only those who were chosen, only those who were on the rotor for that day and for the one or two hours that it was allocated to their task to guard the Holy of Holies, they waited outside in the temple precinct. And as they waited, devout, religious people, but not those that had trusted and believed that Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and now a miracle just for them. This curtain, have you ever understood? It was 60 feet tall. That's 20 meters. How tall is this building? It was 30 feet wide, 10 meters. It was enormous. If it was torn from the bottom to the top, it could have been done by human hands. But it's torn from the top to the bottom. Who can do that? 
This was a divine miracle. This was done by Christ as well. The very ones that had plotted to kill him and tried to take him again and again and he walked through the crowds and they couldn't put a hand upon him. Now these mostly bigoted, self-righteous religious Jews whose temple worship they thought saved them. And there's a miracle for them. The veil is torn. It would have been heard. It would have been seen. And they would have said, what's happening? The holy of holies, no man can go in except that one that was prescribed. And now the way is open. Oh, it's very clear. Now we can go to God. We who are sinners, we who are stopped by a barrier, a thick, big, tall barrier, and it's been taken away, and Christ has torn the veil of the temple from top to bottom. Verse 51, that's the third, quickly the fourth. It's in verse 51, and just as this happens, there's an earthquake. Just picture for one minute, darkness, Christ shouting with a loud, triumphant, judgmental voice, and then the sound of the temple curtain, and now an earthquake. How fearful must the people have been, but you know this earthquake spoke to one man. Not many. Maybe it spoke to many. But one man was shook to the core. He had a hard heart. He was the one that said, more whipping, more scourging. This man, the soldiers, three others, take him, beat him, harder, harder. Now the centurion, who was in charge of putting him to death and making sure he died. The centurion, he's shaken to the core. And as the earth underneath him trembles and shakes, this centurion says, truly this man was a righteous man. Truly this was, is the Son of God. He was shaken to the core. That miracle spoke to him powerfully. His heart was shattered. His stubborn heart. And the fifth miracle, verse 52, the same earthquake, no doubt, shatters the, the tombstones of many. They buried their dead in those days, the wealthy ones particularly, in caves and tombs and a stone was put in front to secure them and just at that moment the stones were broken and rolled away and opened that was a miracle on its own many would have seen it heard it but then look what happens verse 52 the sixth miracle and the graves were opened who comes out this is selective. Those who had trusted in the Christ, the Messiah, those who had followed him and seen his miracles, 
those who had heard his teaching, calling to men and women, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And they had believed, but they died. And they were in the graves. They were sleeping. Isn't that nice? They would rise again. When Christ comes finally, they will rise. But for now, they have a temporary resurrection. And there, I went to his funeral last week. Look at him in Jerusalem. My mother, my father, my son, my daughter. Look at them walking in the streets. The saints. That doesn't mean they were holy. It means they were sinners, made holy. And they're now walking the streets. As the Christ rises from the dead, many come and see, verse 53, they appeared to many. Isn't this astonishing? Are you not moved? Is your heart not gripped? As you see six miracles laid on top of another, they came out of the graves after his resurrection and they went into Jerusalem, the holy city, and they appeared unto many. There wasn't one resurrection, there was many. Do you know it's never for want of evidence. If somebody's sat here tonight, you've heard me a hundred times. Never say to me, I've not had enough evidence. I don't really know. I'm not sure. There is more evidence for Christ and his death and his resurrection and his power and his love for sinners than there is for anything in the world. Let me tell you the final one. Of course, What's the greatest miracle of all? There was a mighty transformation. These sleepy disciples that couldn't wait with him the night before, these poor, uneducated men who didn't believe, who denied him three times, Peter, these rusty, ropey fishermen, tax collectors, they become men on fire. They turn cities upside down. They go throughout Jerusalem, throughout Palestine. They go to Greece, they go to Asia Minor. And church after church after church is opened. What a mighty miracle. The power of Christ on the cross and Christ raised from the dead. It gripped these men and women. They go to prayer. They pray and pray. And thousands are added to the church. Isn't that the greatest miracle? That the church of Jesus Christ explodes. It expands. The authorities, they can't stamp it out. The Bibles are burned. They can't get rid of them. Because Christ is at work. He was at work on the cross. He was at work 
in those 50 days before his ascension. He's at work now in hearts. That's the seven miracles of Calvary. Have they touched your heart? Are you like the centurion? Hard-hearted, callous, careless for Christ. You couldn't care that he suffered and died. It means nothing to you. Will become like the centurion as he saw Christ die and his heart was melted and moved and he saw his own sin. How many people had he been responsible for the death of? How many crucifixions had he organized and ensured that they die, including Christ's? And he sees his sin put upon the Savior. He died for me, for me. And he was transformed, never the same again. And this is what these miracles should and can do. The mighty Lord Jesus Christ. Powerless? No. Powerful. Omnipotent. His power grew and grew. Is that possible? Oh, I'm sure our knowledge of his power, the evidence for his power, the reach of his power, miracle upon miracle upon miracle, so that we would never have any doubt, so that we could never say, show me a sign. All the signs that we need. The issue is faith. Will you put your faith in Christ tonight? Would he be your Lord and would he be your Saviour? Let's pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, what can words say? How can we possibly understand? Oh Lord, give us a sight, O oh Saviour, of thy wondrous love to me. Bless us and help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name.